Okay, let me get this right again. It's fall back. That's right, fall back. So we're going to turn the clocks back. By the way, not this weekend, but next weekend. Weekend after next. November 7th, 2 a.m. Does anybody, by the way, set their alarm for 2 a.m.? to set their clocks back at the exact hour? Not a chance. Yeah, I don't think so. I wake up in the morning, then I forget. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot. We fall backwards. Yeah, but as we talk about the uh, time change, inevitably the uh, debate that just won't quit, that just won't stop, whether or not we should stop with uh, adjusting the uh, clock, falling back, uh, springing forward, that inevitably bubbles to the surface. Uh, Mary, how do you feel about this, uh, the time change, the ongoing time change uh, twice a year? Is it something that really disrupts uh, your life? Because I know a lot of people say it takes a couple of weeks to kind of really adjust. I I always try and tell myself, nah, it doesn't bother me. No, it doesn't impact anything I do. But it is so dark. It is so dark for so much of the day that, yeah, I do find that it affects me. You know, that part of it. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's just dark. I know, because when daylight savings ends, the sun will set here in Ontario, in uh, Toronto, Hamilton, uh, London, just before 5 p.m., they say 4.59 when we uh, adjust the uh, clocks. That's a little early for nighttime, uh, I think, for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, just not quite supper, 5 o'clock, and it's dark. And it really is tough, uh, particularly when you work shifts and you work a, a, an early shift, that uh, you could go, honestly, weeks, if not months, without seeing daylight, sunlight, and that does have an effect on you. Oh, absolutely. And I've experienced that in the work that I've done over the years. And yeah, you're kind of like living in the dark and, and, you know, your circadian rhythms and your body just sort of adapts to seeing and thinking, oh, it's dark. I should sleep. Mm-hmm. You can't sleep at five o'clock. No, you, know? <laughs> well, you can. But would you? Should you? Could you? You know, this is not much of a problem anymore because we live in such a technologically advanced age that all of our uh, watches and clocks, phones, they they all adjust themselves now. But, uh, you know, I remember the old joke that, uh, yeah, I always like uh, adjusting all the uh, clocks because that uh, takes me that hour I just lost. It takes me an entire hour just to adjust everything. And, you know, all of a sudden now my uh, here's an old joke for you. My VCR is blinking 11, 11, 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old VCR, you know, or, or or the microwave, like some of those other things that you still have to go back manually and change. Otherwise, you're you're confused for like the first few days. What time is it really? What did I do at that hour? All these things that we could just do without. If we didn't have to fall back and spring forward. I, I remember doing this uh, when I was doing the morning show at FM ninety six in London. We did this a, a couple of times during the uh, time change because one of the most confounding clocks to change during the time change was the one in your car right you remember that you'd have to like break out the owner's manual and it was like a, you know just a small paragraph on page 82 and you had to i don't know push the tone button while hitting the up seek <laughs> we, we yeah, actually I had i remember this did a couple of times at uh, drive-thrus throughout the city we had people stationed there that uh, were experts in this field and would be adjusting uh, people's uh, <laughs> clocks, their clock radios in their cars. It was that complicated. Yeah, you had to take it to the shop. Yeah. <laughs> Get the technician to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, there's an Ontario MPP that wants to abolish the time change uh, forever. And we're going to talk to them uh, before the uh, hour's out, before uh, 3 o'clock. And I do mean that time, 3 o'clock. Uh, But first, really, really interesting article in the uh, Toronto Star today, if you want to check it out. I was reading this earlier this morning. 
Uh, former Canadian astronaut uh, Dave Williams. He has some uh, very interesting thoughts when it comes to the pandemic in space. So we thought we would run these by our space expert from York University. Paul Delaney joins us now here on Global News Radio. Hey, Paul, good afternoon. Hi there, Jeff. All right. Nice to have you with us as always. Uh, let's talk yeah, a bit about uh, some of these uh, thoughts from this uh, former astronaut, uh, Dave Williams. And I want to start with uh, how he kind of went back. I thought this was incredibly interesting, Paul, talking about his uh, time in space, which can be lonely and very uh, isolating, and how he kind of drew on those lessons to get through the, the early parts of the pandemic. Very spot on. Uh, I mean, his analogy of living in a very small, confined space, be it a space capsule or the International Space Station, uh, and being able to, you know, choreograph your time so that you didn't have time to think about what was happening around you, you know, creating the plans and moving forward in a very constructive fashion. It's got to be a really great analogy that, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to, to read up on. Uh, be an astronaut for a day, so as to speak, and map that across to, well, what we've been trying to go through for the last 18 months, two years. Yeah, and he was saying that it's really important, whether you're in space or you're here back on Earth during the pandemic, when you are isolated like that, when you're spending a, you know, a significant amount of time alone in isolation or just at your uh, house, that you really have to have a, a plan and you got to plan on things like, uh, say, physical uh, fitness and make sure that you're doing that on a uh, regular basis, that you've just got, you know, something that you can look forward to or, or something that's going to yeah fill your day. Absolutely. I mean, as I say, I think he is spot on. When we think back over the last 18 months, what the vast majority of the world has had to do, confine themselves to quarters or at least, you know, change dramatically or significantly what was their regular routine. When you think about the important things that keep you focused, as, as he says, you know, a bit of physical fitness, a plan to motivate yourself to go from one hour to the next. And at the end of the day, Feel that you have accomplished something. Those are really, really important uh, um, goalposts to to achieve to make sure that when you wake up the next day, you're feeling good about the day ahead of you. Yeah, as he says, have a plan and execute that plan. That is such yeah. great advice. Also, he believes that the lessons learned up there in outer space, so spending some time uh, on the space station, may actually uh, help us to detect and track the next pandemic, if there is one. Uh, how so? How could that be, Paul? Well, you know, I, I, his, his reasoning, I think, is very good. And it's part of a larger uh, reasoning associated with why do we go into space at all? Uh, when you think about the vantage point of low Earth orbit, where satellites are located, where the International Space Station, you get a global perspective. And now, you know, borders begin to melt away and so on. You know, if you're wanting to track human population movement, or if you're trying to track the blights associated with crops, if you're looking at animal migration, all of that information is readily available to you from Earth orbit. And it's more pieces of the puzzle. While it may not say to you categorically, ah, there's a pandemic forming in, in that particular location, it does give you more information about the human condition. You know, we monitored air pollution, for example, during the pandemic, and we could see where various cities were ramping down their industrial uh, signature because, you know, the, the, the clarity of the atmosphere improved considerably. The vantage point of low Earth orbit gives us additional information uh, about 
the human condition. And that can, of course, play an important role in modeling, detecting and and fighting against the next pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say tackling a a disease or a a virus, because to your point about the uh, big picture, if we can uh, see that and track it uh, from space, maybe we can uh, head the next one off uh, before it uh, really uh, like COVID uh, gets out of control, that uh, we can maybe uh, flood a certain area with uh, much needed resources. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, trying to piece together, you know, looking back 18 months ago to January of uh, 2020, uh, when the uh, COVID-19 began to rear its head, if, if we had known more about that situation early on, maybe, maybe we could have been able to defend against it better than what we ended up doing. Well, now we know what we should be looking for, what we could be looking for. And so, Again, this comes back to you know the global community. If we could all pull our resources, both on the ground as well as from Earth orbit, that must end up saving lives in the long run for the next major outbreak, even if it's not a pandemic, if it's just a, a major outbreak of some description. Pooling those resources must help the overall global condition. And you alluded to this a moment ago, but does all of this speak to the importance of space, space travel, the space uh, industry that, uh, you know, and you and I have talked about this over the last uh, few months with so many billionaires going to space. And there's been some criticism about that, that the money could be uh, better spent. But when you look at the space industry as a whole over the uh, decades, there have been some pretty significant developments that we use on a day to day basis in our lives now, Paul, that all started uh, thanks to NASA, the space race and the space industry. That's exactly right. I mean, you don't have to be able to hold up a saucepan with with Teflon and say, okay, that's a result of the space program. The whole initiative to get to the moon back in the 60s fired up miniaturization, the ability to remotely monitor astronauts and equipment. All of that has bled into our modern technology. And so, you know, when you think about the innovations that the space program has generated, though those all play an important role in what we have around us today and that's excluding you know the weather uh, status that you know we get from our satellites the gps that you use in your car every day the search and rescue operations the ability to monitor from afar the human condition you know the, the body has all been has all arisen because of the space program. So you could point to hundreds, if not thousands of innovations that you use directly or indirectly every day as a result of efforts for the space program. I think my favorite is Velcro. Velcro was first used, wasn't it, in space? It was. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's, you know, the ability to you know, fasten something securely without having to grab a screwdriver or you know, tape, which you know, invariably defaces things, etc. Velcro, wonderful example. Okay, and that's to say nothing of Tang, but we'll have to save that for another day. Uh, Paul, <laughs> great to talk as always, Paul. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. You too. Our space expert, Paul Delaney from York University. And we're back after this on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.